0: I'm still in the process of meeting most of you guys. Um, and I think that my, my most common introduction line is, did you know that Grace and I lived in Asia for three years? I mean, half of you guys have probably heard that line. Well, Grace and I lived in Asia for the past three years. And, and I want to tell a story real quickly about my first day in Asia. Um, I was in Singapore and completely jet-lagged. And I woke up, probably slept for about three hours, and it was about nine in the morning. And I walk across the street, and, I, and I'm really craving some breakfast food. And David Lee already knows where I'm going with this. I, I walk across the street and go into this restaurant, and they don't have any breakfast food. They, they're, they're selling their full menu at about 9 in the morning. And so I order this thing that I saw on TV called Singaporean Chicken Rice. And it's not, well, it is. It's, it's chicken and rice, but it's not just chicken and rice. It's, it's, it's chicken rice, Right? Yeah, it's 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 a glorious thing. But it's not breakfast food. And and for about three weeks while living in Asia, I loved that I could get a full menu at eight in the morning. And I said I like that for about three weeks. Because after three weeks I started craving a lot of different things like croissants and bacon and scrambled eggs with a little bit of garlic and pepper inside. And and I learned and I know that this is a big generalization, but us white people, us people from British descent, we have a special menu for breakfast, and then because McDonald's changes it at 10.30 in the morning, we have a complete different menu after that, and and, and that's what white people do, but when I was living in Asia, they don't do that. They only have a few things that you eat for breakfast, but you can get the whole menu all day long, but what that means is that there's no really such thing as breakfast food, especially the way that I was used to it, and so after living in Asia for so many years, Grace and I we started craving things like mad. Um, we actually got to a point of where we were craving Western food so bad we started paying twelve dollars for a package of four Johnsonville brats. <laughs> and we did that all the time. I mean, I, how how often did we have brats? Like three times a week. <laughs> it's terrible. It was so bad. Uh, We got to a point where um, if a teacher was going to a Western country, if a teacher was flying back to the U.S. for a reason, we would say, hey, can you bring me a gift? And like, yeah, what do you want? I want a can of Mountain Dew. Um, For some reason, I missed hash browns like crazy. Denny's hash browns. For some reason, I, I dreamt about them all the time. But since coming back here, I haven't eaten them. I I don't get it. It was just a thing that I wanted all the time. So, um, let's see, what else? Oh, I really wanted good decaf coffee, which I'm aware might be an oxymoron, but I I really wanted that. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about gifts, and we're not talking about the gifts that God brings to us. We're going to be talking about the gifts that we give to God. And so, before we get to that story from um, the scriptures that we read this week, I want to tell a story about uh, the greatest gift that I've ever received. It was... um, While I was teaching, and um, it was in between classes, and we were just all back from spring break, and one of my students named Nick actually went to America for spring break, and I told Nick, oh, where are you going? He said, I'm going to L.A. I said, oh, I'm from L.A. You got to go here. You got to eat there. You got to go see this, and so um, when I saw Nick walking down the hall, I I decided I'm going to go walk up to him and say, hey, hey, how was L.A.? And so... um, I started walking down the hall, and I see him from from a far distance, and so I say, Hey, Nick! Nick, what's up, man? And Tyler's pretending to be Nick right now, and I see something in his hands, and he gives me a bag of Chick-fil-A. Eight Chick-fil-A sandwiches. This is in Indonesia. We don't have Chick-fil-A's there. He bought an igloo cooler and dry ice and kept it cold for the 40-hour flight all the way back to Indonesia. And I opened it up and and I said, Nick, I I don't even know how to respond. Yeah, I do. Uh, I know exactly what to do. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I responded. And I said, Nick, Nick, this is really awkward, excuse me, having a moment here. People who are thinking go, he had to buy that yesterday because Chick Fil A isn't open today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're about 12 hours old. I said, Nick, this is awkward. And it, Nick, Nick's taller than me. I said, Nick, can I hug you? <laughs> and I gave him this hug. I said, Nick, and this is not her hyperbole. I said, Nick, this is the greatest gift I've ever received. Oh, I, I, I just, I couldn't even talk. I was so excited. Um, A lot of you guys are my Facebook friends, and and if you saw it this week, I asked people, what was your, what's the best gift you've ever received? I got some cool things. Um, One person private messaged me so that um, they could stay anonymous, and she said 30 years ago, she was um, really struggling as an alcoholic and really burned a bridge with somebody and um, ran into that person this month. And they said, 30 years ago, you know, you, you did some very hurtful things, but now, I'm giving you a second chance, and this person said, the gift of a second chance is the greatest gift I've ever received. Another friend had something um, really funny. She said, every year when I was growing up, my mom put a roll of duct tape in my stocking, and I never used it, but now that I have to buy duct tape, it makes me thankful for my mom every day, Um, There was a couple of really serious stories, but these were great, and I asked these people's permission to share these. Um, Yvette shared an amazing story. It has to do with food, but a lot better than my Chick-fil-A story. Um, Her second son was um, stillborn, and the next day was Thanksgiving, and just in a tragic time, somebody came over to their house, and it was a family that cooked the entire Werner family Thanksgiving dinner. They had only met that family one time. That is so cool. Diana Statsula shared a story that a lot of you guys were involved with. Um, She was planning last year, December 28th, the 80th birthday party for her dad. And just said, this is going to be the best party. She invited all of her family to come in. And everybody was going to be able to make it. People who hadn't been together for years, people who hadn't, for for many reasons, traveled or seen family, said, I'm going to make it for this party on December 28th. And then December 20th, her dad didn't wake up. He died eight days before his 80th birthday party. And then an amazing thing happened. All of the family members who weren't supposed to come in until after Christmas said, no, we're coming in now. People came in for, for, for the funeral that they decided to put on the 28th. People here, you guys, brought the gift of presents. And, and I love what Diana said here. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to read what she wrote. She said, We celebrated my dad, my dad's life, and the gift of Jesus all at the same time. So instead of the birthday party, they had this time where they remembered all of the great things that God did for her dad and with Jesus. Diana says that the gift of presents given to her by her family and her church family here was the best gift she's ever received. I feel like I could just stop preaching now, but Jason's looking at me, and I I can't. Yeah, I I gotta keep going. So, um, what made all of these gifts so great is that Diana's family didn't have to come early. That family that cooked Thanksgiving dinner for the Warners, they didn't have to do that. Nick didn't have to bring me Chick fil A. I can't believe that while in Los Angeles during spring break, one of his thoughts was, I should go buy my English teacher fast food. That's crazy. He didn't have to do that. None of these people had to do these great gifts. But that's what made them great gifts. A gift when we don't have to give it to somebody, that's awesome. And when we're reading the story today, the the temple that Solomon built for God, God didn't ask for that. God at no point in the Bible says, Solomon you must build me a temple. No, no, he never does that. David says, my life's really good, so I'm going to build a temple. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. So if you've got a real Bible out in front of you, go ahead and pull that out. So I imagine where this story begins. It begins with David. And I imagine David looking out through all of Jerusalem. He's got his palace. And he's overlooking it in his amazing house. And, and David says that his house, his palace, is built of cedar. And, um, you know, so you can smell that. He also says, um, the Bible tells us that David has so much gold. So he's got a, a palace built of gold. And that I think that when David would lay down in his, in his couches, he had those women in the, in the cartoons that would, like, pick a grape and drop the grape into his mouth. I think that's what David had. And so David realizes his house is great and we're going to read this in a minute but then david realizes god's house is not that great and you see the, the whole time the ark of the covenant where, where god is dwelling for the israelites is in a tent and it's not just a tent it's a it's a portable tent that is made for traveling And so david says this isn't right i want to build a house for god so we're going to look at first chronicles chapter 17 i love hearing the turning of pages that is so cool and we're, th- this is the most scripture I've ever used in a sermon, so we're going to be going all over the place. So First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, Whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. So God doesn't ask for a temple. Instead, David wanted to build the temple for God. This is one of these great gifts. It comes out of David's heart. And everything that we're going to look at today, the temple is not about a temple. The temple is about David saying, thank you, God. It's about worship. But then something really weird happens. 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 4. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men of earth. Verse 10. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you, David. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he'll be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So God says yes, and God says no. God is saying, You don't build get to build a temple, but your son will. And by the way, got to count this right. Your great, 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 great grandson is going to be named Jesus, and he's going to save the world. So David's like, all right, that's a pretty good deal. Imagine yourself at work. Imagine yourself at school, maybe church, ministry group or something, and you have this great idea. And then your boss comes up to you and says, that's a fantastic idea, but I'm going to let your son do it and it will be completed when you die. I don't think many of us are going to go, all right. But David did, and here's why. God said David can't build the temple. He can't build it. So what does David do? He does every single thing possible except build the temple. I have huge blocks of scripture here, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to summarize it. It says David gave Solomon the plans of all the, that all the Spirit put in his mind. David buys the location for the temple, finds the wood, prepares the gold, designs every single aspect of the temple. He teaches his son, how to build the temple. He sets up a leadership for his son that will help him build the temple. Then David designs the porch, the buildings, the storeroom, the upper parts, the inner rooms, the courts, the treasury. He gives him the dimensions of all of these rooms and says all of the priests and Levites, here's what they're going to do. David goes on to give even more crazy instructions. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 14. I just bullet-pointed it here, but if you want to read the whole paragraph, it's, it's way cooler than what I've got behind me. First Chronicles 28, verse 14. David gave instructions and commands for the weight of all the silver and all of the gold items in the temple. David said, we're going to have golden lampstands. Here's how tall they're going to be, and here's how much they're going to weigh. We're going to have silver lampstands. We're going to have golden tables. We're going to have silver tables. We're going to have pure gold forks bowls, and pitchers. First Chronicles 28, verse 18 says, He also gave him the plan for the chariot, that is the cherubim of gold that spread their wings and overshadowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. David can't build the temple, so he does everything else that he possibly can do because none of this has anything to do with the temple. It all has to do with saying, God, thank you. I want to give you this gift. And then about a chapter and a half later, something interesting happens. David dies. He's done. That's it. And if we're looking at it from a very selfish, a very human perspective, we would say, oh, that's not fair. David didn't get to build the temple. But that's looking at it at a human perspective. David just wanted to praise God, and he got to do that in an amazing way. And his son continues it. So what Solomon does, he spends seven of his first 11 years as king building this temple. He covers walls with gold and then takes jewels and sticks them in the gold. And that was just the start. Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 3. This is Solomon building the temple here. Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He paneled the main hall with juniper and covered it with fine gold and decorated it with palm tree and chain designs. He adorned the temple with precious stones. And the gold he used was gold of Parvain. He overlaid the ceiling beams, door frames, walls, and doors of the temple with gold. And he carved cherubim on the walls. He built the most holy place. It's length corresponding with the width of the temple. 20 cubits long and 20 cubits wide. I added some some to my own translation here. He overlaid the inside with 21 tons of gold. The gold nails. Weighed one and a half pounds each. Does anybody have a guess, and this is a call and response time, how much 21 tons of gold is worth in today's world? Any guesses? Raise your hand. I used to be a teacher. Anybody want to guess? Nobody wants to guess. A trillion? Not a trillion. It's $1.2 billion. So we've got one room of the temple. And just the amount of gold in this room is worth $1.2 billion in today's world. Uh, what else does he do? He, uh, let's look at verse 15. For the front of the temple he made two pillars, which together were 53 feet long, each with a capital seven feet high. He made interwoven, interwoven chains and put them on top of the pillars. He also made 100 pomegranates and attached them to the chains. 21-ton golden walls aren't enough. So he covered more walls, more doors, more ceilings with more gold, 53-foot-tall pillars. He put chains on top of the pillars, and if that wasn't enough, he carved pomegranates to go on top. That's pretty good. I was going to find some pictures and turn this into a multimedia sermon, but every picture I found was completely underwhelming. We have nothing to compare this to because no, no one has this much gold. So think about how they got here. Just a couple of weeks ago, if you look at the the posters over on the wall, we were talking about the Israelites as slaves. We were talking about them getting beat by other nations. We were talking about them wandering in the desert. And now they've got the most expensive building in the world. They go from wanderers with a nation of people to a nation with an army so strong they win just by showing up. They go from wandering in the desert eating bread every day to carving pomegranates on top of a pillar. I used to teach English class, and I would teach kids that I want them to understand when the climax of a story is. In looking at the story of the Israelites, I really think as a nation of Israel, this might be the climax. It does not get better than this, and their celebration that we're going to read about next totally proves it at this point all of israel knows that god got them there they're thanking god they don't have to do it but they do and that's what makes it so great so we're going to read some scripture now what i want you to picture is that the temple is finished it's the grand opening all of israel is there they had three hundred thousand people build this temple that's how long it took and now is the grand opening solomon's out there they're sacrificing animals so we've got squealing of dead cows we've got so much blood you don't even you can't even smell anything except for dead bodies because that's how they worshiped so now imagine all that let's turn to 2nd chronicles chapter 5 this is where it gets great 2nd chronicles chapter 5 verse 7 the priests then brought the ark of the lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple the most holy place And put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark. And covered the ark and its carrying poles. Verse 12. All of the Israelites who were musicians. Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun and their sons and relatives. Stood on the east side of the altar. Dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps and lyres. So you know it wasn't a church of Christ. Sorry, I had to. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. More musicians. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by, ooh, more instruments. Trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang the words that we just sang. He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. That's God's presence. And the priests could not perform their service because the cloud... Because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. I've got a cool picture of this. and It's not going to capture how great it is, but let's show that picture up there. So we've got hundreds of thousands of people. They're singing praises to God. We've got the trumpeters over there. And then God shows up. The priests, they can't even do their duties anymore of killing animals because God's presence is so thick. This is the point that I was really blown away. An account that we're going to read in the next scripture says Solomon sacrificed 120,000 animals. So I've got a video of that happening right now. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I was going to, then I watched it and almost threw up. It, it, was, it was gross. So we've got the sacrifice, we've got God's presence, we've got trumpets, we've got symbols. Everybody is excited for the grand opening of God's temple. And then Solomon, the great king, walks up and gives a speech way too long for me to share on a Sunday morning. But we're going to read just a part of it in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18. But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Yet, Lord my God give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence may your eyes be open toward the temple day and night this place of which you have said you would put your name there may you hear the prayer that your servant prays towards this place and then it gets even crazier second chronicles chapter 7 when solomon finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple. This is the second time this has happened. Because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt to the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 heads of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord. And which were used when he gave thanks, saying, "Let's say it together." His love endures forever. God sends fire down, and it killed, or it burns so many sacrifices that one of the accounts said we couldn't count how many animals we actually sacrificed. People fall down. People are pl- pray, playing instruments. Things are burning. Things are smoking. And they have seven words in response. He is good. His love endures forever. Now, either this is the greatest understatement of all time, or there's something really important here. A city sees God greater than any of us are ever going to see God while we're on earth. They see God's temple. They have worked seven years to build this temple. It's the most expensive building in the world. At the end of the grand opening, all they have to say is that God's love doesn't stop. That's it. And if we look at this as the climax, as the high point of the nation of Israel's story, that's it. His love endures forever. That's all that matters. That's the reason that they gave a gift. That's the reason they built the temple. They were giving thanks to God, not because they were required to, but because they knew God's love doesn't stop. The Israelites were slaughtered by giants, and then they became the giant, except they had God. They were the greatest nation in the world, with solid gold walls, foundations built with gold, 53-foot pillars, golden angels, and, of course, decorative pomegranates. They see all this and only have seven words for God. Seven words they say together because they've come to thank God. And they say it together, he is good, his love endures forever. And as we continue on to look through the whole story, the whole biblical narrative, this might be as good as it gets for the Israelites. And if it is, this is what they wanted us to remember. Seven words, that God is good and his love doesn't stop. Thousands of years later, that's why we're here. That's why we sing songs to God. Because his love doesn't stop. That's why we give, we give things. That's why we give our time. A lot of us here, we'd rather be watching NFL right now. I'll, I'll admit it. Elephant in the room. We'd rather watch NFL. But you know what? We give our time to God because we recognize that he does not stop loving us. That's why we give money. Because we know that God's love doesn't stop. That's why we love others. Because God's love loved us first. You know, worship is really popular right now. We've got worship concerts, worship conventions. We we, we have albums that crack the Billboard Hot 100 that are worship albums. That is so cool. But I heard somebody say something the other day, and I just don't agree with it. He said, when we get together to sing, when we get together to worship God, we come to receive a deposit from God. That's just so wrong. David didn't build a temple to receive anything. Solomon didn't build that temple so that he could receive a deposit from God. You know, when I was in my 20s and super poor living as a graduate student, I had a really hard conviction. I realized every single time I talked to my dad on the phone, it's because I needed money. It wasn't, it, my, my relationship with my dad during my 20s had nothing to do with how cool my dad was. It had to do with how much money he had. I hate it when we treat Jesus like a supernatural cosmic ATM. That's not what he is. You know, David didn't plan the temple for any other reason than to say, God, I want to give you a gift. In the same way, Nick did not need or have to give me Chick-fil-A. Diana Statsula's family didn't have to come into town. None of those gifts were required. And that's what made them such great gifts. At the end of giving this great gift, we do receive something, and that's God's presence. We give a present to God, and God rewards us with his presence. And when Solomon saw that, when the priests saw that, all they had to say was that God's love endures forever. And if God's love does endure forever, that means it's still here. It's still going on. It's in this building right now. It's over our city right now. And you know what? When we die, God's love is still going on. We have a lot to be thankful for. Great things are happening all over. I hear great stories about things happening in our lives. But those great things, they're second to the fact that God's love endures forever. They're second to the fact that God's love is going to be in our lives no matter what. God's love started before history. It started before time. And God's love is still covering us during our story. And God's love is going to continue on after all history and after our story is over. Because none of this is our story. This is God's story. And his love endures forever. Let's stand up. God, I thank you for your love and I thank you that it's going to continue on. I, I thank you that it, was, it predates time, it predates history. I thank you that we can receive that love, that's your love to give and you chose to give it to us. Right now I pray for all of us, God, that we will say, God, I want your love. That we'll receive your love and we'll recognize that that's the greatest gift we could ever receive. Your love that never fails, that never stops, that keeps on going. We love you, God, in return and we pray this in your name. Amen.